0: This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com/fool and enter the promo code FOOL. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, August 19th, and we're diving deep into payments company Square. I'm your host Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by Sarah Priestley, one of Fool.com's tech editor analysts. Sarah, how's it going?
1: It's good. Thank you very much for having me again.
0: Again, yeah. Last time you we were on the show, we did a deep dive into Match.com.
1: We did. Um, we got a fairly warm reception, I think.
0: Hey, David Gardner loved it. He tweeted it out. He was psyched about it. That's always a, a pretty good stamp of approval. Um, so you are quickly becoming uh, Fool.com's deep dive resident expert.
1: Oh, I would, I would be uh, very nervous to put that title <laughs> myself.
0: I'm happy to bestow it. So, <laughs> um, so we were planning out this episode, and we were a little nervous that um, Monday's financial show might have stolen our thunder a little bit. Uh, they did a little survey of the payments landscape, and on that episode, Christine Hargis subbing in for Gabby LaPera and Jay Jenkins, they talked about payments, and on the episode, Jay said, Square is a technology company first. Uh, that just happens, I think, to be in the financial technology space. Darn right, Jay. <laughs> we don't we don't we don't normally get territorial at fool.com, but we're not gonna stand for people in financials grabbing our companies.
1: Absolutely right.
0: So yeah. we, we have to do Square Proud.
1: We do indeed, with, yeah
0: with this deep dive. So um, yeah, let, let's hop right into it. Uh, what is some of the background here with Square? Uh, how'd they come to be? What was the inspiration?
1: Well, it's actually pretty interesting. So and they were founded in 2009 by Jack Dorsey, who everyone will know as one of the co-founders of Twitter. Um, and he founded it with Jim McKelvey, who was at the time, um, I'm not sure if this was his job or if he was dabbling in it uh, as a hobby, but he became a glassblower. Um, and he lost his sale to a prospective customer because he couldn't accept a credit card. So they came away from that, and they thought that this has to affect um, millions of other small businesses in the same way that it's affected us, uh, and they wanted a solution for that, and that's exactly what they created. So they developed Square, which um, they're a payment service provider, so they basically facilitate small businesses to accept credit card um, and card payments, and they IPO'd last year and raised $275 million, around $275 million.
0: I think one of the coolest things with the early stages of Square, is Jack Dorsey published this like manifesto, basically, explaining all of the reasons things could possibly go poorly for Square, and that the idea could flop.
1: Yeah, he was absolutely on the defensive. And I kind of like that. He came out with this 140 reasons that Square will fail. Um, and every single one of those reasons he had a rebuttal for. So um, I think you will find that in a lot, and I think this is a thread for him too, in a lot of his communications about the company, he is very defensive. He's al- he's always on his guard. Uh, and that's kind of the way that he's had to be with, with some of these uh, businesses that he started.
0: And he owns uh, over 20% of shares right now, He correct? does.
1: He owns uh, 24% of the um, the class B shares.
0: So what does Square do exactly? Uh,
1: so as I said, they're a payment service provider. But what this means is that they, um, they're they a facilitator. So they give you either um, a dongle that you can put in your phone to swipe or dip a card. Uh, there's a contactless reader for $49. There's a stand for $100. Um, and after that, you can accept credit card payments, and they take a 2.75% cut um, for doing that service, so it's a, it's a flat rate charge.
0: And then there's a slightly different rate if it's not thrown through as a credit card and typed in manually instead. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a high, I think it's something like a, just th- over 3% plus, uh, $0.30 cents a transaction.
0: One of the things that I've noticed is that they're very clear in that they are not a credit card processor. They, no. they 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 are a payment facilitator. They're an aggregator, but they they draw that line pretty hard.
1: They absolutely do. And you can kind of when when we look more into the different aspects of the business, you can see why they do that. They have so many more product offerings. So um, they talk about uh, employee employee management. So for five dollars per employee per month, they'll do time cards, tip reconciliation, all those kind of things. They offer invoices. So. When you're working business to business, you can send invoices through Square. Um, they take a cut of that. They offer appointments, uh, online store, so you can easily set up your payments online. Uh, payroll they'll run for twenty five dollars a month. Email marketing. There's a whole plethora of offerings for small companies. That they that's how they see themselves. They want to be a central part of your business, um, and they they do deliver on that.
0: And I think that that's how most people probably encounter Square. Is through a local business, whether it be a food truck, um, a small retail operation, a pop-up store, maybe a farmer's market, something like that. You know, you look at the breakdown of their customers. Just over 20% of them in retail, 18% of them are food-related, 16% in services. Then you see a lot of other ones in uh, contract work, repair work, hair and beauty. So a lot of businesses that um, might have very small operations. You know, a couple people in the business, um, or just an entrepreneur kind of running things on their on their own. Absolutely. And um, a lot of what they do is very oriented towards empowering those small businesses.
1: Yeah, and I think that Jack Dorsey, I mean, his if you look at his background, his parents were both very entre- entrepreneurial, I think that's kind of formed uh, a lot of his view to these things. Uh, they they offer th- They offer products that I think really do help small businesses. So if you look at instant deposit, you can pay extra and you can guarantee that the money that you receive from your customer will be in your account either instantly or the next business day. That's very helpful for a business that's struggling with cash flow issues. Um, So other things like Square Capital that they built from what was Merchant Cash Advances um, in in the first quarter of 2016, they they developed that into loans. These are all very value-added opportunities for businesses.
0: Yeah, a lot of what they do and some of the different products that they offer companies are targeted towards getting cash in their hands faster or providing capital so that they can you know, expand marketing budgets or maybe add to their inventory orders or do anything to help grow their business and, and kind of build it out a little bit. Um, I think one of the interesting things with them, and to kind of go back to this idea of them not being a processor, is they lean quite heavily on the existing payment infrastructure for, yes. for how they operate. Yep. And you see that in kind of the breakdown of how much they take on a lot of the, the transactions that they process, right?
1: Absolutely. So they take a uh, 2.75% cut of, of every amount that you receive and on, at a first glance that seems quite like quite a lot but um, actually 0.15% of that is taken from Mastercard or Visa and they enable the transaction to happen they do the they do the, um,
0: the actual processing the
1: actual processing yeah and uh, 2% is taken from the bank that releases the funds um, so they're left with 0.6%
0: which is razor it's thin tiny. As, as a margin yeah
1: it, it really is um, and I think that we, we talk, we'll probably talk a bit about this later, but it really shows that the, the transaction um, processing for them is really their entry point into the market to offer all these great other services that they do.
0: And, you know, we started talking a little bit about some of the different product offerings that they have. So um, most people encounter Square and they see Uh, You know They're at a farmer's market or some local store, something like that, and they see something they want to buy, and they have uh, the merchant with a dongle in an iPhone or an iPad or some sort of other tablet device, and um, they just get billed like that the same way they would a point-of-sale type thing. That's how most people encounter it. Um, The reality is, on the seller side, there's a pretty robust offering that Square's been building out, and I think they've kind of been forced to do that because the margin business on um, payment facilitating just really isn't all that great. So, um, you touched a little bit on Square Capital before. You wanna dive into that a little bit more and some of the benefits that it offers sellers?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think Square Capital kind of indicates uh, a unique insight into the small business Uh, Just a bit of background on this. It's very difficult for small businesses to acquire loans. So usually you have to have been in operation for two years, have about 250,000 annual revenue and also have collateral. So uh, a house usually to to secure the loan this doesn't require you to have that and the brilliant thing behind it is that Square has access to a huge amount of sales data. They tra- they're they processing every single one of your transactions. That means that they can see if you have slow periods, when uh, what's your good days, what's your bad days, what your drumbeat is like and they use all this data to offer you a loan that they know that you will be able to repay. The repayment of that um, is usually 10 to 11% that's taken from the gross payment value daily from that customer. Now Square doesn't front these loans. That's the big, that's the important thing. They're basically a facilitator. So they take all this data, they analyze it, um, look at it scientifically and see who is um, prospective for the loan. And then they pair those up with investors. And what how this has resulted in is really good average default rate of 4%.
0: That's incredible. Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. So um, in 2014, for small businesses, the average default rate was around 7%. Um, and Understandably, this has grown uh, hugely for them. So in the first quarter of 2016, they extended uh, 189 million. Um, Sorry, second quarter of 2016, they extended 189 million, which was up uh, 23% sequentially, 123% year over year. That's an explosion of growth. Um, They added five investors uh, in the last quarter. And I think it it makes sense from an investor point of view. This is a pretty safe uh, loan. In a very unsafe territory, traditionally.
0: Yeah, and those are kind of the two metrics that you want to key key in on to see the success of this segment, right? The amount that's extended continuing to rise, and the people that are interested on the financing side uh, continuing to rise, and them adding new investors. And um, you know that that's kind of a proof of concept and a stamp of validation that uh, investors are seeing the ROI and that they are not getting stuck with bad loans that they're offering out. Um, To give you a sense of I think why this is so valuable for Squares, uh, the the sellers that use the platform. You look at their customer mix and um, most of them fall into that small business loan category, right?
1: They do. And they're they're definitely improving the mix. So if you look at uh, the past quarter, second quarter of 2016, 58% um, of their customers were under 125000 annual gross um, GPV.
0: Which is gross payment volume. Yes. So that's basically the, the total amount that they are processing. Via Square,
1: absolutely. Yeah, twenty-eight um, percent were between one hundred and twenty-five and five hundred thousand, and then only fourteen percent were above five hundred thousand. That mix is drastically improved from where it was in twenty fourteen, when there was only seven percent above five hundred thousand. Um, so, understandably, and if you even glance at either of the past two earnings calls, you'll see the term up market thrown about many times. And what they mean by moving up market is that they want to access more of these higher uh, earning companies.
0: Yeah, and we're going to touch on that a little bit in the second half of the show. Uh, Before we do, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and then passing that savings directly onto the customer. Casper's mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress at a very fair price. You can buy it easily online, and it's completely risk-free. The company offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period. Best part, you don't even have to lie down in a showroom. Get a Casper twin mattress for $500 or a king-size mattress for $950. Compared to what I've seen shopping around, that's actually a pretty great deal. You can even save an additional $50 towards a mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash fool and entering the promo code fool. That's casper.com slash fool and the promo code fool. Terms and conditions apply. So Sarah, we talked about some of the various business segments within Square and just kind of what they do as a business. Um, why don't we dive into some of the financials and some of the numbers here on the second half of the show? Um, so, what do things look like uh, for 2016? You know, we're halfway through. Uh, what are they projecting out for the year?
1: So, 2016 total net revenue is expected to be about $1.63 to $1.67 billion, And they actually raised that guidance fairly recently. Um, the gross margin is meant to be around 31%, which is a 2% improvement. And, um, and, and
0: I think one of the things that's important to note here is when they say net revenue, that's their top line, it's not a margin number, it's referring to the net revenue they take from the payments they're facilitating and the loans they're offering and all of these various things. So, yes. so that that's something that you'll commonly see with payment processing companies or companies that are in the payment space, and uh, I don't want you to be confused by that net revenue tag. That is still the top line number.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, and we talked previously about their razor-thin margin, so it looks pretty different uh, on a gross level. Um, so, they also raised their adjusted revenue guidance and a adjusted EBITDA guidance. If you don't mind, I'm just going to spend one minute talking about adjusted. Mm-hmm. And, and,
0: and EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, sorry. depreciation, and amortization, uh, just for anyone that needs that clarified. Uh,
1: so, adjusted revenue for uh, this company specifically, they exclude Starbucks transactions, which has been They made an arrangement with Starbucks a few years ago, it turned out to be not very successful. They lost money on the transaction, so they back those out. And the transaction cost Square has to pay to banks, so that's adjusted revenue. Adjusted EBITDA takes out taxes and depreciation, as you'd expect. Um, but they also remove stock-based compensation and the Starbucks transactions, and it, that does impact the figures quite subst- substantially.
0: So there's a, a decent swing between looking at the gap and non-gap numbers here, and that's something you have to keep in mind with a company like this.
1: Absolutely, um, but they did raise their adjusted revenue guidance up six percent to uh, 655 to 670 million, adjusted EBITDA to uh, 18 million to. 24 million from previously guided eight to 14. So that's a big jump there.
0: One of the things that pops out most to me when I look at their numbers year to year. So 2014, they had a gross margin of just uh, just over 26%. And in 2016, they're up around 31% now. And that steady march up, you know, we talk about the idea of their bread and butter business payment facilitation not being super great for margins. Um, I think you're starting to see the effect of all of these other business segments contributing to that margin number.
1: Yeah, you're completely right. So the reason for this margin um, enhancement is is basically being driven by the product mix, mix. So if you look, transaction right now is about 76% of their income. Uh, software and data, which is what uh, Square Capital falls under, is 18%. And then hardware revenue is 6%. So hardware revenue, as they grow the number of people they supply this, this will grow. But what we really want to focus on as investors is software and data. We want to see that become a bigger bigger slice of the pie.
0: Because that's where capital is nested, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, they are, of course, on a gap basis, not net income positive. They are not. That's Some, important to know. <laughs> something to keep in mind as you're looking at their numbers. Um, they don't have any debt on the books. They have access to financing if they're interested in it. But at the moment, they are not levered at all, which is, uh, for a high growth company, pretty great to see. You know that That's where you can start to get into trouble if you um, need to start making those debt payments and aren't able to because you're so worried about uh, making investments in building out the business. So something to keep in mind there. Looking at their most recent quarter, uh, what are some of the big numbers that investors should watch moving forward, and, and you know, like how are those metrics performing?
1: So, in most recent quarter, I would say things that we need to look out for are um, their GPV, so that's the gross payment volume. So it was up forty two percent year over year, which shows the growth um, organically of their customer base but also shows that they're adding customers too Uh, so it's a mix of those two things net revenue obviously we want that to go up similarly um, but square capital the growth in square capital is crucially important Um, we want to see that improve as I touched on previously it grew 123% year over year but that needs to be sustained Um, and the slowdown in growth that experienced in the first quarter actually dipped the share price quite significantly this year
0: and and what about what we're looking at for the rest of 2016? You know, we we talked about that uh, that headline number of expected revenue of about 1.5 billion. Anything else to kind of key in on for the business?
1: Um, I think the uh, I think the product the cu- sorry the customer mix. We need to see improving too as they move up market. So GPV from uh, 125,000 in revenue plus companies grew 61% in the quarter. That needs to continue to improve, and the 500,000 plus also needs to improve.
0: Okay, we've touched on up market a couple times, and um, I think it's compelling to have these huge business partnerships. You know, moving into these areas where people are processing um, over 500,000 dollars, you know, per year. But um, there's a certain danger that comes with that too. Uh, on the margin side, where, you know, in conference calls, they've talked a little bit about the idea of custom pricing and being more lenient when it comes to these big fish. That's fine, but they might get stuck in partnerships where they're not pulling in a very attractive rake on those transactions, right?
1: Absolutely, that's that's the worry. Um, the other thing is that Previously, um, 50% of the people that use Square have come to them organically, so they haven't had to market, they don't really do much sales. That's a minor criticism of them, is that they don't have much of a sales infrastructure for you to go to. Um, now they are hiring sales and marketing teams because big companies are going to expect professional service, custom pricing, and also someone to interface with. Um, this is all added costs, and the way that you kind of negate that risk is if it's it's okay to offer them custom pricing, if the margins are smaller on their transactions, that's okay, but these companies need to be using other services, so invoicing, payroll, Square Capital, that would make up for that loss.
0: Yeah, the idea of the payments business being the entry point for customers is fine so long as Square is able to then upsell people to these other products and get them involved in Square Capital, get them involved in some of the employee management stuff that they do. Um, It can be kind of tough for them to grow and Really, like, kind of stay afloat and be profitable if they are stuck just handling payments for people.
1: Absolutely, but it, it is a crucially um, important thing for them to do. It, for the first thing, it, it recession proof proves them to a certain degree. Um, you know, you look at their default rate and you look at their growth right now. That's great, but it's kind of the rising tide that rises all ships. At the minute, um, the the economy is doing well. What happens when we have an economic downturn? Um, there's a often touted uh, statistic that. Within five years, 80% of small businesses go bust. Um, and, and
0: that will be uh, amplified in bad economic conditions, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. If you During the last recession, so in around 2008-2009, the average default rate was 12%. That would, um, that would have devastating effects for Square.
0: Um, one of the other things that I think is a little interesting and a potential business risk for them is um, looking at their Square Capital business they've talked a little bit about getting outside of square mm. vendors and you know we 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 praise the beautiful system that that is where they're offering a loans they have incredible granularity into what a seller is doing prior to offering that loans and they're able to immediately take their cut to make the loan repayments which is fantastic if they start moving outside of that ecosystem and offering loans to people that are not on the selling platform I wonder how strong that loan advantage is and what default rates might look like.
1: I absolutely agree with you. I think that they may be playing their best hand almost with doing this. So Sarah Fryer was asked the question, would they look outside of Square's ecosystem to to offer loans? And she said that um, they could use the muscle, she described it, of their business, which is the scientific, the data analysis side, and apply that uh, to different data sets, to, to external data sets. The reason that I think this is uh, dangerous for the company is the fact that Square's key advantage, as you touched on, is the fact that you can't game that system. They are inherently linked to their customers and they know exactly how much money they're getting. They know when they're getting it. Um, You can't hide from that. And that enables them to very, very well target the, the customers with the appropriate amount of loan. And they're automatically receiving their payments back. Investors love that. When you're going to a different uh, company to receive this data, whether it be through Intuit or, or Upserve, which is a restaurant company they work with, yes, um, they are getting data. I'm sure they're very good at analysing data. But is that data going to be the granularity that they want? And are they um, better underwriters than... Uh, banks that have been doing this for a number of years. I'm not sure that we will know that, but there is definitely there is a market for micro loans. Um, absolutely, but my main issue with it is that there is a ton of demand within their current customer base.
0: And they'd be they might be better served meeting those people first, absolutely. and then worrying about getting outside of kind of the core customer group that they have.
1: Yeah, and that's what Sarah Fry may have been alluding to with that is that at some point in the future they may bring they may um, offer this out, but right now they need to focus on their own customer base.
0: Looking at the business, I think a couple other risks that are worth noting. Uh, There's a bit of a hardware risk. Um, I think they've been nimble in approaching it and smart, but to a certain extent, Square is a little subject to the whims of the smartphone and tablet manufacturers. You know, there have been rumors that Apple might ditch the headphone jack in its phones. That could take the old dongles that some people are operating on and kind of turn them into bricks if they ever decide to upgrade the devices that they're working on. You know, so they would have to either roll out new ones, which Square has been nice about providing free dongles mm-hmm. to a lot of their sellers, or um, you'd have to see sellers kind of port over to the paid NFC ones that they're also offering. So I, th- I think that's another thing to keep in mind. They seem to have been ahead of that, but um, anytime you're relying on another platform, as they do in so many different ways, with credit card processors, with device manufacturers, everything, um, that's something you kind of have to be mindful of. Another thing that I think is is kind of worth noting is that the space in um, specifically mobile payments is becoming increasingly competitive. And before the show, we were talking about how I'm not so much worried about the credit card companies. You know, we, Visa actually has a stake in uh, Square, but you know, you look at PayPal and their Venmo line. Um, right now, they're a peer-to-peer payment primarily, but you see in the conference calls. They are interested in getting into the merchant side of things, and I worry that um, you know it might be a little bit tougher for Square to lock down some of these merchant agreements.
1: Absolutely. I, I think um, PayPal kind of has that uh, heritage, too. Um, Square, I do feel, has a competitive advantage as a first mover with this, and what I think really... Gives them the edge is the the full suite of offerings. So they talk about their ecosystem. Their ecosystem is pretty sticky when you get inside it. And if you're using all of these um, apps and and uh, invoicing, pay payroll, all those kind of things every single day, um, I think as your business grows, you will continue to use them. So yes, absolutely, the place uh, the space is becoming increasingly crowded. Um, that's something that Square's going to have to be aware of.
0: Yeah, and I think they've done a very good job of learning from. Um, not necessarily payment companies, but other platform companies out there in building out an ecosystem, making it very sticky and incredibly useful and valuable to the sellers that are on it. You know, I mean, if you have a kind of an all in one suite option um, where you can get your payments taken care of, you can get financing as you need it to make new inventory orders, um, you can get some help maybe on the employee side and managing hours, timesheets, things like that. Uh, that's pretty compelling for a small business.
1: It, it is, and I think, um, I, I keep saying this when we when we talk about it, but I just feel like they're uh, targeting a very underserved group. I think that small business owners historically have really had to fend for themselves with a lot, a lot of these things, and they haven't had access to the... Um, High scale, high technology analytics that they're now getting that's going to give their company a lot more credibility when they're going to customers or if they're going for a bank loan, a larger bank loan, for example. So, I do think that this is adding a lot of value to their customers. I think that's their competitive advantage.
0: And just a testament uh, to the small business market, you know, you look at what's going on with Facebook and a lot of their advertising, they have put a huge emphasis. They talk about it in pretty much every conference call uh, on the hyper local and very targeted small business advertisements. So, um, this is obviously a big market. You know, you you don't think of uh, Square and Facebook necessarily being on the same plane with you know Square being a four billion dollar company and Facebook being a hundreds of billions of dollars uh, in market cap. But um, there, there's clearly a compelling market that they're both trying to meet, and um, it's just kind of a testament to the value that's available there. Um, as an investor, and and just trying to contextualize what some of this opportunity might look like. It's kind of tough because, on a valuation basis, we said you know uh, Square is not net income positive <laughs> at the moment. So um, we have resorted to looking at price to sales and just to kind of get a sense of where they fit within some of the uh, competitors that they've identified and some of the people that we see kind of matching up and being in the same space. Uh, you look at their trailing price to sales, and they're about 2.7. Uh, meanwhile, PayPal is at a price to sales around 4.6, and Intuit is at a price to sales around 6.6. Now these are far from identical businesses. PayPal and Intuit both posted net income of over a billion dollars in the trailing 12 months. so That's something to keep in mind there. Um, Looking at growth, last quarter, Square posted over 40% year-over-year growth. Intuit was over 20%, and PayPal was around 15%. So That gives you some sense of where they sit. I, I think one of the big things is, are they going to be able to turn on the earnings engine? at some point. Right now, they are in a phase that is so growth-growth-growth oriented, um, eventually they're going to have to start making money to prove out to investors that they belong uh, at the valuations of some of these other tech-payment business-type companies. Uh, that kind of remains to be seen. But, I think if you look at their market cap right now, and you look at the size of PayPal and Intuit, right now, Square is one-tenth the size of PayPal and. One seventh the size of Intuit. You know, I don't know that they're ever going to reach that size, but I think if they're able to kind of crack that nut and they reach half that size, you know, that's that's a three to five x improvement from where they are right now. Um, there, there's clearly a large runway there, and, and I really like the idea of a business that has a symbiotic relationship with the customers. You know, um, we you touched on this when we were doing our prep, but the idea is if sellers are doing well. Then they're going to be doing well, and vice versa. And that's always something that you
1: love to see. Yeah, and I think uh, investors, if you if you're interested in this company, the things you want you need to watch are that they're really improving their customer mix, that they're getting those upmarket uh, customers in, that they're growing Square Capital, um, and that they're really they're growing as a company in terms of the the transactions that they're handling. Because you may um, dismiss that. Raise a thin margin that they have there. But that's their bread and butter right now, and that's what's going to keep them going. But I agree with you. I think they have a huge opportunity ahead of them. I love the fact that they're symbiotically relate um, they have that symbiotic connection with their um, customers. If they grow, they grow with them,
0: yeah. I think with that upmarket pivot, one of the things that I'm most interested in watching and I'm going to be focusing on for the next couple quarters is do they add? and do we get some commentary that suggests that, those mid-market companies are using them for more than just processing and facilitating transactions. If that happens, then I think you have to be really happy about where the business is going. If not, uh, then you have to worry about the margin profile and the ability for them to ever really turn on the profit engine, right? Yes. Anything else before I let you go, Sarah?
1: No, that's great. Thank you.
0: That was an awesome discussion. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out and say, hey, you can always shoot us an email at industryfocusatpool.com. You can always tweet us at MFIndustryFocus, too. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or you can check out The Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Sarah Priestley, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on.